All right. Good morning, Three Crosses. Good to see you all this morning. Oh, it's good to be here. And what a beautiful worship song that was. Let's make room for Jesus. Amen. In our hearts. So good to be here. If you're here with us online today, if you're here in person, thanks for coming. You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, please. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. That's where we're going to be camping out today. We're in a series called Kingdom Codes, and we're looking deeper at the greatest sermon ever preached. It's the sermon Jesus gave is what we know, the Sermon on the Mount. And some scholars believe that the section we're looking at today is actually the hardest place in the whole sermon to interpret. (laughs) I appreciate Pastor Danny giving me this section today. (laughs) But I don't think it's actually all that difficult. We're going to see some powerful things in the text today. It's going to be amazing. If I told you we are a righteous people, how does that land on you today? Thinking back over this last week, this last month, or maybe even last night, or just the general trajectory of your life, do you sense a notable righteousness in your life? Well, the main idea of what Jesus is going to talk to us today about is this whole issue of righteousness and becoming a righteous people. And so let's read the text beginning in Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. As we learn about righteousness today, there are two really important things that Jesus wants us to be clear about. The first of these comes in verses 17 and 18, where we're going to learn that one's overall view of the Bible and its function in helping us to become righteous is so important. In other words, we're asking the question in those two verses, what is the purpose of the Bible? What is the purpose of the scriptures in helping us become righteous? The second thing has to do with the kind of righteousness that is required to enter the kingdom of heaven. We'll see that in verses 19 and 20. And there we're asking the question, how good do you have to be to get in? Now notice Jesus, as Matthew quotes, uses a lot of kingdom language. Enter into the kingdom. We don't really use that kind of language. But what Jesus is talking about here is entrance into the way of God, the family of God. It's the inclusion with God and his people. We could say being saved. What does it take? What is this kind of righteousness? What does the Bible have to say about this kind of righteousness? And what, in fact, or how good should we be in order to enter into that righteousness? So let's burrow down into the first issue here in verses 17 and 18. And this might be the first thing you want to write down if you're taking notes. 
I think what Jesus is saying here in verses 17 and 18 is that it's common to have assumptions about the Bible that really miss the point. Common to have assumptions about the Bible that really miss the point. Now, we don't have time to cover all the ways people miss the point of the Bible, but what Jesus is saying here gives us one very big way that people miss the point. Now, what follows here in Matthew 5, if you're taking notes, if you're looking at this, and I don't want to steal the thunder of some preaching, some very good preaching that's going to be coming up in the future, but you'll know why when Jesus says this, he caught his listeners a little off guard. Because from verse 21 to the end of the chapter, six times Jesus is going to make this kind of statement. You have heard that it was said, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, or he quotes an interpretation that was popular of the Old Testament, and then he says, but I say to you. You have heard it was said, but I say to you. Now that sounds like Jesus is overturning the Old Testament. It sounds like Jesus is abolishing the Old Testament. And so for, uh, for purpose of clarity, Jesus wants to be very clear that he did not come. Verse 17, look at it. He did not come. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And by the way, let me clear up something quickly that you might be wondering about. When Jesus uses the phrase law and prophets, Whenever you see this in the Gospels, he's referring to the whole corpus of Scripture from beginning of Genesis all the way to the book of Malachi. He's referring to the Old Testament Scriptures that the people of first century Judea would have understood. So what Jesus is saying here in verse 17 seems pretty straightforward. But actually, this is where the rub comes in. It's a provocative statement because when you read the New Testament and you follow the practices of the New Testament church, it becomes pretty clear that many of the practices that were held in the Old Testament and many of the laws that supported those practices seem to go away when Jesus comes on the scene. It just seems clear that from the scriptures themselves that when Jesus shows up, a lot of things change. Now, you might want to jump on our Three Crosses podcast because Pastor AJ and I uh, go really deep into this whole subject of the Old Testament law, the prophets, and how in the world it was that Jesus did not abolish those things with all the changes that took place when he comes on the scene. Even some of the New Testament uh, authors indicate this. The book of Hebrews, for example, uh, chapter 10, verse 1 says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. If you look at the context of Hebrews 10, there's a lot of language uh, that talks about the, the setting aside of the first to establish the second, the transitory nature of the law. Paul's letter to uh, to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2 verse 15 he says that Jesus by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations wow so even the New Testament writers seem to use the language of abolishing the law or trading out what was old for that which was new and so that's why this is one of the hardest texts in the whole sermon because it sounds like Jesus is saying I didn't come to abolish but everything that happened afterwards seemed that he did. In fact, to make this even a little more complicated, look at verse 18 in your text. He says there that what's found in the Old Testament scriptures is trustworthy down to the smallest letter and stroke of the pen. 
And he says this a lot in the Gospels. You've ever heard him say in Matthew 24, 34, Mark 13, 30, Luke 21, 32. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will what? Never pass away. They will last forever. So here's, here's what I think is going on here. Knowing how common it is for people to miss the point, Jesus is getting out in front of this. Because here's what happens when we miss the main point of Scripture. We get a lot of other things wrong about life. When we're wrong on the main point of Scripture, (laughs) there's a lot of things that go wrong after that. So if you're taking notes, here's something else I'd like you to see. That one of the things that people get wrong is to think that the point of the Bible is to offer rules to help us merely honor God and live good lives. Rules to honor God and live good lives. Now, this sounds reasonable, perhaps. Some of you are even thinking, whoa, Pastor Larry, what's wrong with that? I mean, isn't the Bible a compendium of rules that help us honor God and live good lives? Well, it sounds reasonable, but the problem is that's not the point of the Bible. If we view the Bible this way, here's what happens. We're likely to take pride in our ability to keep the rules or feel ashamed when we don't keep them. Or we figure out a way to cheat so it looks like we are when we're not. In short, we become rule keepers. And rule keepers are often what we think of people who are truly righteous. Right? They're the ones that keep all the rules. So right here, Jesus is up against the mindset of the pharisaical movement of his day. Don't have a lot of time to talk about the Pharisees, but essentially the Pharisees looked like they kept all the rules, but there was something deeper going on. They were the rule keepers. And by, by the way, things really haven't changed in the realm of religion since the first century. It's not a stretch to see that this is the mindset of mainstream religion today. Just keep the rules to honor God and live good lives. This, this brand of religious people are skilled at figuring out what keeping the rules is and what, and what isn't. Do you know anybody that's really good at keeping rules? Uh, from board games to the boardroom, <laughs> some people have a propensity to call others out when they don't keep the rules. I saw some people right now jabbing the person they're sitting with. <laughs> now, you're the person that sits down at a board game at the house and you start playing and somebody says, you're that person that says, wait, you can't do that. That's not in the rules. Rule keepers, people that know the rules. Now, rules, I think, are basically good, really. Most of the time, rules are good. I mean, would you want to play sports if there were no rules? No. If you're an elementary school teacher, you need rules. You want rules. Nobody likes cheaters. You know, when I fly somewhere... I I hope my pilot hasn't cheated on the rules. (laughs) If I'm seeing my doctor, I hope he didn't cheat on his medical exam. I want my physician to not be a cheater in school. Rule keeping is good. But the problem is, in religious environments, rule keepers are much more dangerous. Because it stems from their desire to be proud. I keep the rules. You don't. And this is what we see in religion. Jesus saw this as the problem of religious leaders in his day. In fact, 
Let me just take you over to the Gospel of John for just a minute. I want to show you this in Scripture. John 5, 39. Jesus is in a debate with the religious leaders. And what he says in 539 is just amazing. We'll put it on the screen. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Whoa, can you imagine? Jesus is saying, look, you have this super high view of scripture where you keep a meticulous count on keeping the rules. And you think that by doing so, you've got life. Remember, most people assume the main point of the Bible is simply a set of rules to honor God and to live good lives. And Jesus says, yet they testify of me. And you don't come to me that you might have life. The point is, it's possible to know the content of the Bible, but never make the connection between its content and seeing Jesus and being in relationship with him. Uh, maybe you've been in a high school or college class where you took the Bible as literature. Anybody ever do that before? And the professor that spoke in that class was uber smart, brilliant, knew everything about all the genres of literature in the Bible. And there's many. There's history. There's narrative. There's prose. There's poetry. There's uh, allegory. There's simile. There's metaphor. There's parable. There's, there's apocalyptic writings. There's all these things in the Scripture and your professor may have waxed eloquently on all those writings and the drama of the, of, the, of the Old Testament or New Testament. I had a professor in a junior college that I went to right out of high school, and he was like this. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. The problem is, in knowing the Bible backwards and forwards, he didn't know the one who wrote about it, the one who put it together for him. In fact, he made fun of Christians. He often pointed stories in the Bible as being ridiculous. He tried to show contradictions in the Bible. And this was an interesting experience for me. And I realized I couldn't match up to his intellectual assent. But one thing became very clear to me is that this man didn't know the Jesus that I knew from the Scriptures. I mean, even some early followers of Jesus had a hard time seeing Jesus in the Scriptures. Do you remember those two guys that were walking on the road to Emmaus right after Jesus was resurrected? And this is one of the most, this is one of the most beautiful places where Jesus actually shows up and he's walking with them. And they're asking him what he thinks about the events that have taken place in these last days with the crucifixion of this one we call Jesus. Jesus is walking with them. And I love how Luke says in Luke 24, 27, he says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wow. Well, apparently Jesus was in all the pages of scriptures. And in fact, just a little later, Jesus sits down with his own 12 disciples and it says, again, in Luke 24, 44, and 45, this is what, Jesus speaking, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. There it is again. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So if the main point of the Bible isn't to provide rules to help us merely honor God and live good lives, what is the point? Here's something worth writing down. The real point of the Bible, are you ready for this? Is to introduce us to the person and work of Jesus Christ that we might believe in him and be saved. 
That's the point of the Bible. And we see this by what Jesus affirms here in Matthew 5.17. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. You see, Jesus is not talking about whittling down or changing the Old Testament law. Jesus is saying in Matthew 5.17 that while things are going to change, when you look at the law, the prophets, all the writings, it's all about me. That's what Jesus is saying. D.A. Carson, in his commentary of this passage, he writes... Jesus came not to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. Fulfill it in the sense that he himself was the object toward which it pointed. To truly understand the Bible is to realize it's not about keeping rules. It's about experiencing a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible is not about rules. It's about a relationship. That's something we should remember when we're talking to people that may not know Christ. Because rules don't help us flourish, relationships do. Can you imagine getting married? I mean, I'm married, so I can imagine that. (laughs) If you're married, you can imagine this. Can you imagine on your honeymoon saying to your spouse, okay, before we get going too far in this thing, here are the rules. (laughs) Wait, what? Before we get started, here are the rules. And from that moment on, your life and and marriage becomes all about keeping rules. Now, I understand that there are unwritten rules in the marriage covenant. Amen? Like, don't forget Valentine's Day. Amen? Don't forget special days, love, cherish, support, all those things. But marriage doesn't flourish because people keep rules. They flourish because they're in relationship. When I play a board game with my three-year-old grandson, he could care less about the rules. He doesn't even know the rules. (laughs) He just loves the fact that he's sitting with his papa and he's playing a game. Because relationship is what it's about. And when you start looking at Scripture through the lens of relationship as opposed to rules, everything changes in your life. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Don't hear him saying... And don't hear me saying that scriptures don't give us rules or that the Bible doesn't speak about ways that we should honor God and live good lives, that it opens us up to the beauty of theology and practical things like relationships and getting free from addictions and how to treat one another in the body of Christ and how to use our spiritual gifts. The Bible is full of insight and instruction about all those things, but What's most important about the Bible is that we see in the Bible Jesus Christ and we savor him. This is the point of the Bible. So I have a question for you. Do you you read the Bible looking for how it points you to Jesus? Is your Bible reading helping you see Jesus more clearly so that you can love him more deeply? Because that's the main point of Scripture and that's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5. 17 and 18. At minimum, Jesus is showing us such a high view of Scripture. I'm amazed when I talk to people, even in the church, that really never open their Bibles. I talk to people who are professing believers. I say, well, where are you reading these days? I don't really read. There's a lot of people that don't, they're not familiar at all with the Scriptures. Now, it takes a while to get there, but once you start reading the Scriptures, You'll start seeing Jesus everywhere. Let's do a little exercise. Let's open our Bibles to the table of contents. Can we do that? 
And I could probably do this from my heart, but I, I, I want to do this fast. So I'm going to look at the table of contents. It's probably the most blank page in your Bible, right? And I just want to walk you through, because when you read the Old Testament, which is where most people get freaked out about finding Jesus, but Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. He's everywhere. And let me just show you, when I, I'm going to read the contents, Old Testament, and I'm just going to give you what I see Jesus in that book, okay? So Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. Leviticus, he's our great high priest. Numbers, he's the serpent on the pole that Moses lifted up. Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like Moses. Joshua, he's the deliverer of God's people. Judges, he's the righteous judge. Ruth, He's our kinsman redeemer. 1 Samuel, he's the son of David. 2 Samuel, he's king over Israel. 1 and 2 Kings, he's the righteous priestly king. 1 and 2 Chronicles, he's the conquering warrior king. Ezra, he's the restorer. Nehemiah, he's the repairer. Esther, he's our Mordecai. Job, he's the suffering righteous one. Psalms, he's the song for every season in life. Proverbs, he's the wisdom of life. Ecclesiastes, he's the reason for life. Song of Psalms, he's my beloved. Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. Ezekiel, he's the son of man. Daniel, he's the ancient of days. Hosea, he's the faithful husband. Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Amos, he's the one that brings justice. Obadiah, he's mighty savior. Jonah, he's the faithful missionary. Micah, he's Bethlehem's ruler. Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk, he's the eager evangelist. Zephaniah, he's the restorer of the covenant. Haggai, he's the desire of the nations. Zechariah, he's Zion's king. And Malachi, he's the promised messenger. Amen. Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, I could go through that list again, and I could give you a completely different descriptor of Jesus in all of those books, and we could do it numbers of times. Let's start. Genesis. No, I'm just going <laughs> to... I wish we had more time. We could. I could. Those are things that are just very obvious. But the scriptures are so rich that you see Jesus every. Now, you're just the first time reading, you're not going to necessarily see all that. You've got to read the Bible to start seeing Jesus and reread it and reread it and reread it. I read through the Bible every year. It's part of my discipline. And, and I get it. There's places where it gets a little bit bogged down. But there's such beauty in just letting scriptures just roll over your life, roll over your life. Start the day with scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures as you go through the day. Scriptures are so important. The main point of the Bible is to see Jesus that we might be saved, to believe on him and be saved. That's the main point. If anybody asks you with a question, what's the main point of the Bible? Tell them. It's that we might see Jesus and savor him in our lives. Now, there's a QR code there on your outline that you can, I've given you some examples of Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus. You can look at that later. 
But let's move on to the second point that Jesus makes here, verses 19 and 20. So number one, it's common to hold assumptions about the Bible that really miss the point, but here's something else. It's also common to misunderstand the moral and ethical requirements for kingdom life. I want to key in on the end of verse 20 where Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot. Wow. Jesus reminds his, his argument here. In fact, verse 19, he says, and if you treat these with, you know, triviality, you'll be known as least in the kingdom. But if you keep these laws, my commands, and teach others, you'll be known as great in the kingdom. I know someone's out there sitting there saying, thinking to themselves, who cares, least or great? I just want to be in the kingdom. And I get that. But sometimes we forget that there is something about the way we're living our lives here that's going to impact the way we live our lives on the other side. If we live to be 80 or 90 years old, great, that's great if we live that long, but in the stretch of eternity, how much is that? That is like a smallest little pinpoint on a timeline that goes forever. So don't you think if Jesus, all through the parables, he talks about the way we live now, Come in, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful and little. I will put you in charge of much. There's a sense in which what's going to come later is going to be more significant. And how we live now impacts that. And if you take his commands trivially and you don't live by them and you don't teach them to others, oh yeah, you'll be in the kingdom, but you'll be least in the kingdom. And I don't, I don't even know what that's going to look like. You know, maybe it's going to be like, you know, I'm going to be scrubbing toilets and the little old lady that just was faithful to the word and doing the things that she was called to do is going to be like commanding the nations. I don't know. But all I know is this. I want to be found faithful so that I can maximize the glory of God in my life, both here and in the hereafter. Now, okay, let's, uh, you might be asking yourself, well, what, what really are these commands and requirements that Jesus is referring to here? Well, to find out, actually, you're going to have to keep coming to this sermon series. And you're going to have to keep reading through the Gospel of Matthew because there's a lot of stuff here. It's incredibly big. In fact, at the very end of Matthew, Jesus taught his disciples. He said, and here's my instructions as I go, after his resurrection, go into the world, make disciples in all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to what? Obey what? Everything that I taught you. Whoa! The mark of discipleship is being obedient to everything Jesus taught. We, we were really sloppy with discipleship in the modern church. I don't mean our church, although I think we can, we're working on improving that. Because typically in modern evangelicalism, there's a sloppiness. I'm in the kingdom. I just, I just kind of come. I, I'm happy to be here. I do my little thing at church. And then I go back out of my week and I work. And I just, Jesus said, we got to just be passionate about obeying every part of what he said. And how about just what he said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven that you could sum up all the law and the prophets by loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Just think about those two things. How are we doing with that? Wow. There's a lot here, isn't there? Hmm. But here's, here's what the point is, and I want you to write this down. 
Jesus taught that the kingdom life requires a righteousness that surpasses the most moral and ethical people we know. Now, if you come out of a Catholic background, you might be thinking of the Pope, you might be thinking of a cardinal, bishop, maybe your local priest. If you're in a church like ours, you might be thinking of a pastor, one of our pastors. You know, occasionally people say things about me. I've been around here a while, and, uh, and, and people will say, they'll introduce me, well, Pastor Larry is one of the most, you know, humble guys I know, or they'll give me this extolling, you know, beautiful introduction or something. People say really nice things to, about me. But when I hear that, you just have to know this. When I hear that, I say to myself, they don't know me. <laughs> I'm not that. I, I aspire to be. But on my best day, if you see me on my best day, there's still things that are just not quite all there. In fact, when I read through the Gospel of Matthew from what follows here in Matthew 5.20, Oh my goodness, I I read this and I say, I fail on all this. You know, he says in verse 21, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say unto you, you know, if you look upon your brother with anger in your heart, it's as if you've murdered. So, so, okay, so I haven't killed anybody physically in the last ever. (laughs) But anger? Uh Uh-oh. I might have killed a few people last week, actually. It might have been even in my family. Hmm. What about keeping your marriage solid? Fidelity in your marriage? Oh man, we all want to have pure marriages. But are we entertaining thoughts at times that are destructive to our marriage? Uh Uh-oh. You ever want to pay people back for the things they've done to you wrong? You ever wake up at night and say, man, if that happens again, I'm going to... When you read Matthew's account of what righteousness looks like, here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was doing, he was saying, this is righteousness. You see the Pharisees? They keep it on the outside really well. The problem is they don't live up to it because there's a heart issue. They're rule keepers. They're not relationship lovers. And so Jesus wanted us to come to the the end of this sermon and say, I'm undone. I can't live this way. I don't live this way. Because here's the deal. We're not righteous because of the work we do. We're righteous because of the work of another. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And the person who has Jesus has righteousness. Not because they did it, but because he did it. And the beautiful thing about all this is, is that this is kingdom life. It's not rules, it's relationship. It's realizing that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again from the grave. That he appeared to us after his resurrection. And that he reminds us to go into this world and teach and preach the pure gospel of who he is. That he worked on our behalf, that he went to the cross for us, that he's our substitution. And only Jesus, therefore, can give us the righteousness required for kingdom life. It starts with him. It ends with him. So today, if you've never opened your heart to Christ, you need to. That's the first step. You want to experience the kingdom code? You've got to have Jesus in your life. Because then everything else makes sense. And, here's, here's a little, and, and you can do that today. You can pray right now. 
in just a second. Or you can go to our prayer room right after here and you can just say, look, I'm, I'm a little confused. I thought the Bible was rules. I, I want this relationship that the pastor was talking about today. And we'll help you just offer a simple prayer of submission to the Lord and let him come in your life. Forgive your sins and give you a new life. So here's, here's a little takeaway for this week. Number one, if you don't already read scripture on a daily basis, start today. This is the primary reason why God gave you those scriptures, so that you might see and savor Jesus. Number two, resist the temptation to becoming a rule keeper. Rather, be a relationship keeper. Focus on pleasing Jesus, not keeping the rules. Remember, it's a relationship. Rules strokes our pride. Obedience strokes a deeper walk with Christ. Number three, be ready for Jesus to show you things in your life that need change. And when he shows you, trust him to give you the strength and courage to move forward in faith. Because that's what relationships do. You will blossom and you'll become more like the one who called you. And the next time you hear someone say, you are a righteous people, you will say, I know, because of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for being the one who fulfills the law. We are so grateful. We love you, and now may we worship you with all our hearts. And if you agree with that prayer, why don't you stand with me and let's, let's sing our hearts out to the one who saved us.